I fell so deeply in love with technical diving because it kind of really fell into what I love so much about diving, which is being separated from the surface. You know, it's my kind of peaceful meditation type activity. So the further away from the surface I was, the more decompression obligation that I had, the, the more at peace I felt, right? Off-gassing, a scuba podcast with host Nick Hogel. In the final episode of this series, I sit down and speak with John Kieran. I was able to catch John before he moved back to cave country in the state of Florida. In his early 20s, a snowstorm pushed him into the direction of the Virgin Islands, which kicked off his diving career. Throughout his career, he has held many positions and has emerged as a true leader in his field. Someone who is not afraid to speak his mind about his frustrations with the industry or personal challenges he has faced. Decisions that led him to change his path, seeking and creating a higher standard, more misconceptions, and some unexpected reactions for speaking up. Please enjoy. John, how are you doing this evening? Uh, quite good. Yeah. Well, I'm just waking up, but... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. <laughs> I, it's, yeah, the, the time zone thing. Sorry, sorry. My evening, your morning. Cool, man. Well, I really uh, appreciate you coming on to the podcast today. I'm really excited to hear your story, hear what you got going on. Um, obviously, have uh, a few questions I'd like to ask. But the first question I usually like to ask is... Tell me about how and why you got into scuba diving. Tell me about that first breath. What led to that moment? Was it an aha moment? Was it an absolutely horrible moment? I know it's kind of different for everybody. So tell, tell me all about it. For sure. Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, chatting with you this morning. Well, my first breaths underwater uh, was just kind of something that uh, me and my dad decided to do. Uh, <laughs> Uh, kind of on a whim. Uh, the company that my dad was working for when I was in high school offered free scuba training to all of their employees. Uh, he was a corporate pilot for Land's End. And uh, they, yeah, they said, bring your families. We'd love everybody to get certified, you know, if they want to and whatever. So me and my dad just decided on a whim, sure, let's go ahead and, and do that. It'll be something fun for the two of us to do when we're on vacations and stuff. And, uh, you know, it was something that always interested me, you know, uh, but I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin, <laughs> not a whole lot of scuba diving happening around us or not that I knew <laughs> about at the time. And, you know, I said, sure, let's, let's go ahead and give it a shot. And it was that first breath underwater that just completely basically changed my life. I didn't know it at the time, <laughs> of course, uh, really what it would do to the trajectory of my life, but it was, you know, that peaceful, quiet weightless moment where, you know, uh, those of us who are divers, you know, we know that it's hard to explain, you know, in words, what, what that, uh, what that feels like. And, uh, it was just this overwhelming sense of, of freedom and, and peace and all that, uh, from that moment on diving has always been kind of my, my meditation, if you will, it's kind of my, my break from reality. And, uh, that's, that's always been the most important thing uh, about diving to me. Um, from there, uh, didn't dive much, <laughs> uh, you know, being in Wisconsin and I was really involved in athletics and other school activities and stuff, uh, when I was in high school. So, uh, didn't really get around to doing much of it, uh, would 
go diving, you know, once when I was on vacation with my parents or, you know, when I was in college and stuff, take a trip to Florida or Mexico or whatever for a spring break. And, you know, I would do one, one day of diving basically always really enjoyed it, but just always had loads of other stuff going on and was never really a priority for me. When I was in my early twenties, uh, I was working in finance, uh, in the, the car business and I had spent some time sailing around the British Virgin Islands with, uh, with my sister and her husband. They had a, a, a catamaran on Tortola. Uh, so I went down and uh, hung out with them a few times. And through that process, really kind of fell in love with the, with the Virgin Islands and met some people down there that became uh, really good friends. And uh, one morning in March of 2008, I woke up and... Uh, yeah, my car had gotten plowed in. You know, we had gotten a big snowstorm the night before. My car was plowed in. <laughs> and I just did not want to deal with digging my car out of the snow or going and sitting in a finance office ever again. And so I called my <laughs> boss and told him I'm never coming in again. Uh, he said, what are you going to do? I said, I have no idea. <laughs> um, but I'm thinking about running away to the Caribbean. And uh, that's what happened. I called my buddy who was living in St. Croix, who I had met through sailing with my sister and uh, everything down there. And he said, hey, uh, come on down. You can crash in my house as long as you need to. And, uh, you know, I've got a, a spare Jeep laying around that you can, you can drive if, uh, if you need it. Uh, so I booked a plane ticket, <laughs> uh, I didn't really have any other plans. Uh, uh other than that, uh, the, my flight was going to be in October of 2008. And again, this was March. So I had, you know, basically the summer to figure out how to logistically arrange move to the Virgin Islands and all this stuff. And, uh, also start thinking about what I want to do <laughs> while I'm living in the islands, you know, like how do, how do you survive? And I decided like, uh, I'm not going to, you know, live a normal life down there. You know, I, I want to have a fun job and just kind of use this as an opportunity to just kind of take a step back and relax and find yourself kind of thing. Right. And, uh, so, so well, you know, I enjoy scuba diving, Let's see what it takes to become a dive master or whatever that is. Because every time I went diving anywhere I was, you know, on vacation or whatever, I would always ask the dive master or the instructor, like, how, how do you end up here? Like, how, how does this happen? And Well, you know, you just book a plane ticket and then figure it out. And so like, <laughs> I thought that that's just what you do. So that's what I did and uh, walked into my local dive shop just outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and uh, walked in there and. The guy that I started talking to uh, ended up being a course director and I said, hey, you know, I would like to become a dive instructor. I'm moving to the Virgin Islands in the fall. And he said, great, you know, what level of certification do you have and how many dives do you have? I'm like, well, you know, I, I'm an open water diver uh, and I have like 16 dives. <laughs> and he said, great, you know, we, uh, we have all these classes lined up, you know, advanced open water rescue. I uh, can put you into a dive master course. And then there's an IDC uh, towards the end of the summer and instructor evaluation in September uh, scheduled here in, in Chicago. And I said, okay, well, great, let's do that. Uh, so over the course of a summer, I went from being an open water diver <laughs> with like 16 dives to an open water instructor. Uh, and so I moved to St. Croix uh, as an open water instructor uh, with like 102 dives was, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you teach yeah, I, at all in before you moved? Did you get like any experience actually teaching or was it just showed up fresh certification basically card? Basically just showed up. Yeah. Fresh uh, instructor rating thinking, you know, I, I know everything that there is to know about scuba diving and, you know, I am the absolute expert. 
And then the first time, you know, I got in the water with students, I realized I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> oh yeah. Because <laughs> you know, all, all of my training as a dive master and stuff was in, you know, a cold quarry with eight feet of visibility in Wisconsin. And then all of a sudden I'm on top of a wall, the top of the wall is 40 feet deep. And then, you know, it's 13,000 feet deep or whatever on the other side of the wall, <laughs> crystal clear water, you know, and I, I have no idea how to control students in this environment. And yeah. So that was, it was a bit of an eye opening experience, but yeah. So then moving on, <laughs> uh, I, uh, spent a year in St. Croix working as an open water instructor, you know, doing, two day open water classes, you know, loads and loads of DSDs and really enjoyed teaching. Like I've absolutely loved teaching, but I got kind of burnt out from the really fast paced classes and uh, not really spending a whole lot of time to you know, create good divers. Um, and I was, yeah, just kind of getting burnt out and losing kind of that, that passion for diving. I wasn't doing much, you know, fun diving for myself and stuff. So I decided to look at other opportunities. Um, and I, uh, saw the, you know, the boat captains making a little bit more money, <laughs> uh, than the dive instructors <laughs> and, you know, kind of living uh, more, more cush life, you know, just driving the boat, hanging out in the sun, uh, relaxing while everyone was diving. Uh, so I decided to get my captain's license and I was able to use a lot of sea time that I had from sailing around with my sister and stuff, as well as, uh, time driving boats, um, in, in the lakes in Wisconsin and stuff. So, uh, I had a lot of sea time already before getting there. And so had just enough sea time uh, after being down there for about two years, uh, a year and a half to get my 50 ton master's license. So became a captain. Uh, just real quick, what, what goes, what all goes into like, what do you need to do? Obviously there's, there's sea time, water time, but what else do you need to do to get a captain's license? Cause I know there's different levels. There's the 50 ton and then so in the U.S. and St. Croix is a U.S. Virgin Islands, so it falls under the U.S. Coast Guard requirements. It's sea time, so it's 360 days, uh, I think, at sea, which is, you know, uh, four hours, basically, not attached to the ground. It's, it's a day at sea, basically, I think, is, is what the requirement is. And, you know, you just have captains uh, or, you know, boat owners or whatever sign off on your log saying that, yeah, you, you have that time. Uh, and then you take the class. Uh, you don't have to take the class, I don't think. At least you didn't when I did it. This was, you know, quite a while ago. But the the class just prepares you for the written exams. Um, there's no like practical application <laughs> at all. Like it's all just theoretical and and you know the the written exams. Uh, you have don't ever need to have driven a boat before basically to get a 50 ton <laughs> master's license. <laughs> you just have to have worked as crew on a boat. Yeah. Uh, it's wild. And they don't check to see if you know how to drive a boat <laughs> during the, the exams. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it, it's time consuming and a bit expensive, but it's really not that big of a deal to get your license. Yeah. It doesn't take that oh, okay. much. Yeah. So got my captain's license and decided, uh, you know, I'm going to live, you know, this nice cush life sitting on the bridge, uh, you know, getting some sun, watching all the people go diving and stuff and just kind of hang out and relax. I quickly realized that's not what being a dive boat captain in the Caribbean actually is. While everybody's in the water, so everyone knows, like while everyone is in the water diving, your captain is probably down in the engine compartment, <laughs> covered in <laughs> grease and oil and diesel fuel, trying to get the boat running again so it makes it back to the dock. Usually with zip ties, you know, duct tape, whatever, 
uh, is laying around spare hoses and hose clamps and stuff uh, to, to get the boat back to the dock. Uh, it is a pretty stressful job, to be honest, uh, trying to keep the boat running because uh, you know, dock shops, as we all know, are usually running on a pretty pretty thin budget, uh, and especially in remote areas like Virgin Islands and stuff, you know, it, it costs a lot to maintain these these boats. So uh, usually trying to do it on on a bit of a shoestring budget. But, uh, <laughs> so I, I wasn't diving nearly as much anymore, and I was, uh, uh, yeah, sitting on the boat, not having that much fun. You know, usually coming home every day smelling like diesel fuel and oil and sweat and grease, uh, which was not so nice. And so I wanted to get back to diving more, but being able to dive more for myself. And so I started looking around at, uh, you know, opportunities for that. St. Croix is right on the edge uh, of the Puerto Rican Trench, basically. So we have extraordinarily deep water just off the North Shore of St. Croix. Like the, the initial drop off on the wall there is just a couple hundred yards offshore uh, and goes down a couple thousand feet. So I had been swimming along the top of that wall for a couple of years, <laughs> um, just kind of gazing down, thinking, man, I, I wonder what's down there. I wonder how you know, you get down there safely. I did some really, really stupid things. I'll be honest, you know, extraordinarily deep dives on a single tank of air um, by myself just because I wanted to try it out see what would happen. <laughs> and, uh, so I thought, you know, I, I would like to look into, you know, how to do this, you know, more safely or, or properly. So I started researching technical diving. There was nobody in the Virgin Islands, whether it was the U.S. or uh, the British Virgin Islands at the time uh, that was doing any sort of technical diving it was back in late 2009, early 2010. So I had to look at going elsewhere uh, for training and, and knowledge and stuff. And basically in the Caribbean, there were only two options at the time. Uh, it was uh, Grand Cayman, a dive shop called Dive Tech, or uh, Utila, Honduras. And if you know anything about either of those locations, there's one major difference between the Caymans and Utila, Honduras, <laughs> uh, and that's cost. <laughs> uh, the Caymans <laughs> are outrageously expensive. And Utila is dirt cheap. And so being a broke dive instructor and, and uh, boat captain in the Caribbean, I went with the cheaper route, of course. And so I rocked up to Utila and uh, had booked like four or five weeks there and went through all of, you know, the entry level tech training to become, you know, what was the, the Patty Tech Deep Diver, which is, you know, their deep air certification to like 190 feet or, or whatever it was. And I went back to St. Croix and started doing a whole bunch of solo deep air <laughs> technical diving because I didn't have anybody to dive with. Right. And like, it was never really like the importance of team diving was, was never really stressed in any of my, my tech training. So I'm like, oh, I'll you know, just do this stuff solo. It's all good. So at the time, cause obviously, you know, as, as people are progressing, you don't know what you don't know. At the time, how did you find the training? Was it just all new and exciting and, and, and yeah. um, um, amazing now, um, not really knowing kind of how dangerous it could really be at that point? Yeah, uh, that's exactly it. You know, I mean, if you look at the typical progression for any scuba training is just like that, right? Like the instructor is the all-knowing master of everything scuba related. And it was the same feeling that I had going into my tech training was, you know, these people know everything that there is to know about technical diving. They must because Patty or whatever training agency signs their, their card saying, you know, you're qualified to teach this stuff. So they must know everything that there is to know. 
so yeah, you, you go in just with a bit of blind trust. You know, I was 25, 26 years old at the time, just very enthusiastic and ready to absorb information and, and just thinking that ah, this, this is just the way that it is and, and uh, it must be, it all must be correct. So yeah, I did a whole bunch of that diving in St. Croix by myself, had a few really, really scary moments and realized, oh, you know, if I really want to be doing this stuff, right, I need other people to be diving with. And I fell so deeply in love with technical diving because it kind of really fell into what I love so much about diving, which is being separated from the surface. You know, it's my kind of peaceful meditation type activity. So the further away from the surface I was and the more decompression obligation that I had, the, the more at peace I felt, right? Because you're just, you have to be in that environment. You can't escape it, right? You're, you're there. And so I knew that this was something that I really wanted to be a huge part of my life. And so I wanted to be able to share that with other people and I wanted other people to be able to dive with. So decided to go back to Honduras and do all of my instructor training. So the following year, I went back, spent another you know four or five weeks in Honduras, and went from being Patty Tech deep diver to Patty Trimix instructor, like their hundred meter you know Trimix certification, hypoxic Trimix certification, uh, and an instructor at that level. Um, so very, very, very fast paced. And you know, again, you look at it and think, well, now I come out of that, I am the all knowing expert. <laughs> right? <laughs> Patty has said. You know, or whatever training agency, you know, they have said, you are qualified to teach this stuff, you know, as much as you need to know, or as much as there is to know about deep technical diving. So go share it. And so I went back to St. Croix and started teaching it. And again, just kind of found my calling, I think, in, in teaching technical diving. It was like everything that I wanted out of a career was, you know, sharing this information with others. Um, and doing these deep technical dives with, uh, with students and stuff was super rewarding to me. Um, but again, very fast paced training, like the third time I ever went to 300 feet was with students, <laughs> uh, in the driving class. Yeah. So yeah, pretty terrifying, right? Uh, I had some pretty scary moments happen in class with students. Like I had a student run out of gas on deco from a 300 foot dive, uh, like while we're at 200 feet, you know, running out of their first decompression gas really rapidly. And it, it, yeah, some really, really scary stuff. It was, uh, uh, not super fun, but good learning experiences, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just real quick to, to, to back it up just slightly, when you started journeying into this technical realm, starting to do the technical diving, you were saying at first you were doing it by yourself. Did you, was it easy to find people to start to dive with you? Did you find like, do you know what I mean? Was it easy to kind of gather a team and start to, to progress that way? Yeah. So super. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there were a lot of people. Yeah. There were a lot of people in the islands that were interested in it we just didn't have a way to move forward with it. So as soon as I got my instructor rating, uh, I started teaching classes right away uh, and started building a, a technical diving community in, in the Virgin Islands. Uh, and it grew pretty quick. There was a huge demand for tech training uh, in the Caribbean at the time because there wasn't really anybody else doing it. Like again, it was Dive Tech in Grand Cayman and then Utila. There was some happening on Bonaire and some of the other islands, but not loads. And uh, yeah, so 
people were looking for another uh, location to, to train and dive. And so it immediately took off. And now for work, basically, all I was doing was teaching tech and driving the boat, oh. which was exactly what I wanted to be doing. You know, I wasn't teaching recreational classes anymore. I wasn't doing DSDs anymore. I was driving the boat and teaching tech courses, which was really fantastic. From there, just to kind of speed up the, <laughs> the progression a little bit, in 2012, I was at technical diving event in uh, Bonaire, actually, their first, I think it was their first like tech week that they did at Buddy Dive in Bonaire and met the president of TDI there and spent a couple weeks diving with him and got offered a job in Florida to work uh, in the training department at TDI and then spent, uh, I guess, about four years or so working there, sitting in an office every day again, uh, using like every day off that I had to either dive or teach like every weekend on the wrecks in South Florida, started cave diving and really fell in love with that. Like it was even more <laughs> of that, uh, kind of peaceful meditation, uh, for me than, than technical diving had been. Uh, so I was either, you know, wreck diving in South Florida or driving up to North Florida and cave diving every weekend and then like every vacation or holiday or anything like that that I had off. Uh, I was teaching classes <clears throat> as much as I could, but yeah, I just wasn't really enjoying sitting in an office anymore. And also I uh, was getting a little bit frustrated just with the dive industry in general. When you got that job offer, did you know it was going to be an office job? Were you just kind of looking to get out of the area that you were in or was it kind of like sold as one thing and then it became another? <laughs> like no, I mean, it was it, it was basically exactly what I had expected. I got to do some really amazing things in that job. Like I, I was able to do uh, some diving and stuff. I was able to travel around and do like TDI does like their, their tech events, their tech weekends type demo events and stuff. And so I traveled around the country doing that kind of stuff. I had some really cool opportunities to, to train on different rebreathers uh, like new prototype rebreathers and help develop standards and training and stuff for those. It really was a, a really, really awesome job. And I had a lot of really cool opportunities to, to do all the stuff that, you know, I, I was promised when I came in, but the majority of it was sitting in an office and I dealt with all the quality assurance complaints and I dealt with you know, managing the standards, writing new programs. And I dealt with, uh, I managed the training advisory panel, which is a group of instructors from around the world that all you know gets together to discuss uh, you know, how to improve things and, uh, develop new programs and stuff. So it, it was a really, really, really cool job. Um, and you know, I saw it as just a huge leap in my career, you know, like it, it is, you know, kind of the ultimate goal for a dive instructor to uh, be involved at kind of the, the highest level in the industry. But after a few years of it, kind of the excitement of that wore off and, uh, I really wanted to just get back to teaching full time and, and being in the water more. And I realized I could probably have a bigger impact on the industry working with one, one or two students or instructor candidates at a time, rather than trying to, to make any big impact from the top down. Um, there's just a lot of pushback from the industry as a whole on, uh, you know, really making things better. <laughs> Yeah. Is that the frustrations you were seeing? Cause I, is that, is, do you mind if I ask about that? Like what, what were some of the frustrations? Yeah. Um, well, I write about it <laughs> in, uh, in that, uh, that article that, that was published in in depth recently. Um, and yeah, I mean, a lot of the frustrations in the industry, and this is not any specific agency, uh, that is more 
at fault than any other. Um, all of the for-profit training agencies, basically, you know, they, they're always trying to balance profit and quality and, you know, they're for-profit businesses. So money always wins, right? They have to keep the office open. They have payroll to, to make. Um, so, you know, that it just is what it is. Um, and that was one of the biggest frustrations was seeing, you know, this happening from the top down and it's almost impossible to make any sort of real change because anytime you try to improve quality, it's going to cut back on profits, you know, uh, making it more difficult to earn instructor ratings or keep instructor ratings or anything like that. Uh, it's going to limit cash flow, of course. So super, super frustrating. But while I was at TDI and teaching some classes and stuff throughout the years, uh, I was introduced to the GUE stuff a little bit. Uh, I was always very resistant to it, to be honest, because I didn't believe that all of the standardization and all that stuff was the answer. Uh, like I, I had this assumption that like, there can't be one way to do everything, you know, like there, you have to do things differently in a cave than you do it in an ocean. Like there's just no way that one way works for everything from, you know, open water diving to long range cave exploration to deep wreck diving on rebreathers and stuff like there, there just has to be variations. But I had the chance to work with a few students um, at higher levels like cave or uh, rebreather training or uh, deep technical diving that had some GUE training in the past. So like I would have a cave student who had taken fundamentals or, you know, a tech student who had taken fundamentals or something like that. And the thing that struck me the most was every class that I taught with GUE trained divers, um, those classes were way more fun to teach uh, and way easier to teach because they came in just with a significantly higher level of knowledge, understanding, and, and skill. So we got to start technical diving or cave diving on day one, you know, instead of spending three days just trying to you know, teach them how to float and kick. So I wanted to know a little bit about what that process was like. Like, how do you create such a consistent product? So uh, I decided to take a fundamentals class just to try to steal as much as I possibly could. <laughs> and uh, yeah to offer to my students like okay here's how we actually set people up for success uh and it was the first day of the lecture like the second or third slide in the in the powerpoint presentation where i just said oh like this is it this is something that's completely different it fixes all of the problems that i see in the dive industry um and uh my career has just taken a new path and it's going to be a very time consuming and expensive process, but I think it's worth it. And the, the big differences with GUE, um, is it's a nonprofit organization that's dedicated to conservation and exploration and education, right? So those are the main focuses. Of course, the organization needs money to run, right? But most of that is, uh, donations and stuff as, as most nonprofit organizations run. So like, there's not this push to print certification cards or to issue instructor ratings or anything like that. It's, it's dedicated to making sure that we're offering the highest quality education possible to create passionate divers that are going to be involved in conservation and exploration efforts. So it's just a completely different mindset. It kind of fixes this disconnect that we have between like the passion of diving and the, the education component. Um, cause every GUE instructor needs to be we need to be active. We need to be passionate about diving still have to be requalified pretty uh, rigorously. And uh, we have to meet a lot of 
much higher standards for uh, recertification and renewal and everything every year. So, And to my knowledge, that's the only agency that does that, correct? Am, am, I, am I correct in that assumption? I wouldn't say the only one. Um, there, there are probably some smaller fringe agencies that do have actual renewal requirements and stuff. But of the larger organizations, you know, GUE is, is definitely the one that has, you know, the, the highest standards for, for renewal and requalification. Specifically, every year, you know, we have to do fitness tests and, you know, have a medical, dive medical and um, fitness tests are like swims. We have to carry heavy equipment for certain periods of time. We have to do, you know, the tired diver toes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and it's pretty relatively high level of fitness um, that, that we have to meet. Uh, we have to be actively diving, so we have to, you know, do at least 25 non-training dives. Half of those have to be at our highest teaching level, and so I think uh, 25 dives a year isn't that much. But for somebody that's actively teaching a lot, you know, in order to fit in 25 non-training dives, it can be a little bit not difficult, but you have to really want to do it. Yeah, right? yeah, which means you know, people are actively involved in diving if they're going to be teaching. Them. And then on top of that. Other renewal requirements, like we actually have to be requalified every four years. So we have to be reevaluated by an evaluator, um, you know, a higher level uh, instructor trainer evaluator. And then uh, nobody's exempt from that. So even the evaluators have to be evaluated by other evaluators. <laughs> uh, nobody gets out of any of those requirements. So it just ensures that everybody is constantly teaching at the highest level. And we have opportunities continuously to kind of correct the drift that happens, you know, as humans, we're always looking for small shortcuts and stuff to take, to be more efficient. And so, you know, it, it happens to all of us where, you know, we cut certain things out of lectures to make them more efficient. And, you know, when that happens, we're like, okay, well, the class still ended up being okay, you know, and people are still prepared and everything. And then, uh, you know, you, you cut a little bit out of a land drill once to make it a little bit more efficient. And then the next day or, you know, the next class you teach, you, you do the same because it, it turned out okay. And everybody does that. But these requalifications are opportunities to correct that and reset that drift. So, and again, everybody is uh, susceptible to it. So we make sure that everybody gets requalified. So I, I was speaking to you a little bit off recording and, and I've kind of said it a couple times on the podcast, but yeah, no, I recently just, uh, as of like three months, two months ago, three months ago, took my first GUE course and definitely kind of the, the, the same, I think maybe when I first started hearing about the agency, I kind of had the same perception going in like, oh yeah, I just, you know, that's not something that I, that I want to do. I, I don't even think I was really like wanting to move forward in technical diving. It was it always sounds appealing, obviously, but I was just kind of happy where I was. And then as I start progressing, you know, my own personal scuba education, it there's like things that start sounding more appealing, like, oh, okay, you know, hear about how they do that. And so I, I definitely, before I took the course, um, I, I had a lot, uh, and I just took the fundamentals course. Um, but I had a lot of misconceptions going in to the point where I, I was literally, <laughs> I felt bad because uh, so usually if I find an instructor, I'm like, okay, I'm, I, I pre-warned them like, hey, I'm going to just be prepared. I'm going to ask a lot of questions. There's going to be a lot of questions coming yeah, yeah. your way um, because I, I know, I mean, obviously I think, well, if a lot of people don't know, there is the standard equipment that GUE uses, right? So I'm like, okay, I need yeah. to, I need to get everything proper before I go into class. 
Um, and, and I was talking to the instructor and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm, you know, feel really bad. Like I don't really have an area where I can go dive and I'm like, I can go to a pool and start practicing stuff. And she's like, no, no, you're good. You'd like, don't like, you're good. Just show up to class. Like you, you read what you need to read. That's what the class yeah, is yeah. <laughs> um, but I just, that was one of the misconceptions though, was because, you know, uh, at my local lake in Texas, when you see like the GUE crowd, they're like, they're, they're constantly out there and, 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 you know, in my head, I don't know if I, I misread it, but I'm like, oh, they're they're prepping for class. They're going out every weekend and they're prepping for the class that they're going into. Yeah. Um, but I might have just read that wrong. You know, I, I don't know if that's exactly what they're doing because I only met a few, I think, GUE people, probably like five or six back home. So I, I went in with tons of misconceptions and I swear, like, I, I'm pretty sure it was day one the thing that blew my mind the most still to this day was like, I thought I knew how to set up a back plate and wing. Like I thought I knew how to do it. I'm like, Oh man, this is, yeah, I know how to do it. And then the instructor was telling me like the exact opposite of how I was, you know, told or or how I had it in my head. And I'm like, how is this going to work? Like, like almost not believing it, but I'm like, you know, go with the classes, just how I am in classes. And it was just like mind blowing when I was in the water, like, just a a light bulb moment and it yeah it was absolutely amazing but one of the questions that i wanted to ask you as as an a gue instructor because i've I've been asking a few what are some of the biggest misconceptions that you will hear about or students will have before or like when they approach you to take a class or even if you're just talking to some you know random person that just heard about the agency like oh this is what i heard it's almost too hard to list them because there's so many (laughs) (laughs) to be honest like it's it's the issue is you have a lot of people who have never taken a GUE class who look at it from the outside who feel a need to put it down right and so people who ask questions about it uh to people who don't actually know they'll just start loading up with wrong ideas basically and so things like oh you have to wear halcyon equipment and you have to wear scuba pro jet fins you know, like all this stuff. It's like, no, none of that is true. You can wear whatever manufacturer equipment you want. I'll give my suggestions, right? Because like, yeah, Halcyon equipment is some of the highest quality equipment you can buy, right? So I'm going to suggest that, but not only is it high quality, it's designed to do exactly what we do. The, the wings are designed to hold the tanks, right? In the proper position, right? For trim and balance and all that stuff. And, you know, like, yeah, scuba project pins are kind of the standard that we use because they're heavy and they're the proper shape and, and they allow us to, to do all the kicks and everything that we do properly. So, you know, I explain that to students, but tell them, you know, you can show up with whatever gear you want, right? As long as it meets our standard equipment requirements, which is not brand specific at all. So that's, that's usually the, the biggest one uh, is, is uh, brands. Also, people, you know, come in thinking that, you know, it's going to be this like super hardcore militaristic style training because the standards are extraordinarily high, like compared to the rest of the dive industry, you know, especially at the fundamentals level, those standards are extremely high. And so people associate that with some sort of like hard militaristic type training. That's not the case. I mean, there are some instructors of course that teach more that way, right? Because everyone has different teaching styles and different personalities and everything. But the vast majority of, of GUE instructors are far more laid back. We're focused on 
communication styles and how to get through to different types of students based on their learning styles. And, and we spend a lot of time uh, working on different teaching techniques to, to help support students' needs uh, at you know different ability levels and everything. So that's one of the things that shocks most of my fundamental students, I think, is the, the level of attention that we put into communicating with students in a way that works best for them, right? And, uh, you know, uh, other stuff, other common misconceptions is that, you know, it's this very kind of cultish mentality where, you know, you have to do things the way that we do it. Otherwise, you're, you know, ostracized <laughs> from that. <laughs> so, and it's not like that at all. Like, it, the, the community is actually super warm and welcoming. And, and, you know, we're looking to improve quality, of course, but most importantly, we're looking to have fun. Like this is just scuba diving. Our, our goal is is to go dive and, and have fun. And you know, it's that you you had a a common perception of GUE teams or you know GUE communities um, of looking at it from the outside and thinking these people only go and dive to train to prepare for classes and stuff. And while you know quarries and lakes and stuff in Texas and the Midwest where there's not a whole lot. <laughs> new to look at every weekend when you're going to the same place, they're going to spend time practicing skills to make sure that they're fresh. So when they go to do tech dives or cave dives or take the next class, all of those fundamental skills are, are still fresh and, and uh, it's not going to cause problems for them. So yeah, you do see GUE teams practicing a lot, but it's one of the things that I try to discourage my students from the most once they get done with the fundamentals class. It's like, all right, guys, like you need to keep practicing skills, but go diving for fun. Like use the skills that you've learned here and go have fun. Like don't just get in the water to practice. Go have fun, right? At the end of your dive, do a valve drill, you know, or you know, do an S drill or whatever. But spend most of your time in the water actually diving and, and having fun, and that's going to be the best way to, to practice, you know, the, the foundational skills that you've learned. So uh, those are some of the bigger. <clears throat> misconceptions, uh, I think most of the time is, is just that cultish type mentality that a lot of people perceive, um, or, you know, this really hardcore, like militaristic type training and, and the equipment requirements, um, really, really get a lot of people. And also a lot of people think that like, we just do things the way that we do them because that's the way that they've always been done. <laughs> um, and so when I had a student that ahead of time says, I have a lot of, I'll have a lot of questions. I love that. Like th those are our favorite types of students most of the time, because like, that's what creates the, the best conversations, right? Is let's talk about the why behind all of this. And people are usually a little bit taken back by, you know, the, the detail that we actually put into all of the equipment requirements and, you know, our standardized uh, equipment kit, because there is a very specific reason for why we do everything right and at the fundamentals level it's not all relevant why we put our smb in our left pocket versus our right pocket and you know why the long hose uh, comes from the right post and stuff for the most part at the fundamentals level it, most of it doesn't really matter that much but when you move on to higher levels it all becomes super super critical not just for safety, but to make things easier. Like why we stow our primary light the way that we do when we go to deploy an SMB is the same way that we're going to stow our primary light when you do a gas switch or doing something else uh, where you don't need your light. So it's that precision and the reason why that we try to uh, explain in detail at the fundamentals level, but we understand like the vast majority of our students are not going to remember every little detail, right? 
Like, there's so much new information coming at people at the fundamentals level that it's you know really really difficult for people to uh, absorb all of it and remember all of it. So I try to tell all of my students like just remember there is a specific reason why. If you don't remember, right? If somebody asks you, <laughs> just say I don't remember why it wasn't relevant at the fundamentals level, but it becomes relevant at Tech One or Cape One or whatever the case is because that's one of the things that you see a lot on dive boats and dive shops and stuff is people challenging new GUE divers and trying to like pick holes in what we do and find flaws in it. And, you know, then they can, you know, go back to the dive shop and talk a bunch of crap about how, you know, GUE just does things the way that they do it because they're whatever, or they have to wear healthy on gear. And that's where you see a lot of those misconceptions coming from is people are, are not knowledgeable about it, asking questions specifically to poke holes in what we do. And then it, you know, them getting bad information because the, a brand new GUE diver doesn't necessarily have all of those answers. So they can go yeah. and you know, talk a bunch of crap about, you know, how GUE doesn't actually know what they're doing or whatever. It's, it's pretty frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I can imagine. Yeah. So, um, but no, there was all just a lot of moments throughout the class and, and the, the, one of the biggest things was, um, so my girlfriend, she got certified earlier this year, and so I suggested that like, hey, we should go take a fundamentals class. It's a class that I've wanted to take for a long time just because, um, you know, as, as another thing that I kind of heard going in is it's like it, it's such a great place to test your skills and see where you're at and see what you need to improve on. See what like, OK, no, you're good here, but we can we can work on, on this and that. One thing that I kind of was a little bit on the fence of, and it was actually a thing that I definitely needed to work on throughout the course was when I was talking to my girlfriend about it, I was like, Hey, we should go take this course. Since we're going to be diving together, we should learn how to be a better team, right? Like we should learn how to work together, you know, better. So that way, um, you know, she's just started earlier this year. I've been diving a little bit longer than her. So, but I'm like, let's just go and take this course. And, um, that was a, a, a thing that I was like asking the instructor, like, oh, like, are we going to have to take a separate course? Because, you know, like, can we all be in the same course together? You know, and it's it's actually a pretty amazing thing to see how an instructor can take two different people, three different people on completely different levels. And by the end, it's like a functional team, yeah, right? Sure. Like it was it's it's such a mind blowing thing, obviously, because, I, I, you know, I'm just the, the you know, kind of industry standard recreational instructor. I haven't taught in, in a little over a year. I think it's been like a year and a half now, but I, I still enjoy that aspect of it. And I'm just like, how are they going to approach this? Like this is like I, I, like to me in my head, I'm like, this would be just an absolute kind of a nightmare of a situation. And it was like flawless and seemed like it was so good. And and I learned, I'm like, okay, I, I, I could be a lot better of a team player yeah. in the water. Um, and I remember at one point she kind of pointed it out. She's like, yeah, you know, there's, there's everybody here. And then you're just kind of like off doing your thing. And I'm like, I, I just, yeah, it was, it's such a mind blowing thing yeah. to the point. I actually started opening up a conversation with her and started learning. I'm like, so what does it take to become a GUE instructor? And then oddly enough, the, the article, I think, because I think we took it in October and that article came out in November. Yeah. Right. Is that correct? Yeah. And it like that's why it was just really there was a lot of points in that article where I'm like, man, this is this is all true. <laughs> you know, like, it's 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 just speaking to me right now. 
and and I even you know was like talking to my girlfriend about it, like, man, should I try to pursue this because? And I'm still in conversation with her because I'm like, yeah, this is something. What I what I like about it is, and I even told her, I'm like, if this is something that I pursue, like this would probably be like a two plus year process, yeah. like it because I would need to take courses build up the skill levels, you know, like, but it appeals to me in a sense that it's, it's a, you know, I don't want to say a long-term goal, you know, to work for, but long-term two years, you know, but there's just a lot of things because kind of like you're saying, like the, you have to change, not change your lifestyle. That's not the, that's not the correct way to put it, but it's something that, you know, I want to do more things in scuba because that was the other thing I didn't, really know that there was this whole recreational side of GUE. Yeah. So I was like, oh man, this is kind of appealing because I don't know if I'd ever want to teach tech. I'm just still dabbling, learning the technical yeah. side. So I'm just like, but I do love introducing people, giving them that first breath underwater, seeing that moment, right? Yeah. Like I love that so much. It was one of my favorite things as an instructor. So I was just like, man, maybe I can go towards like a rec one but yeah, either way, it, it appealed to both of us so much that she, the instructor, I think at some point, I'm meeting back with her in March to try to upgrade to the uh, tech pass. Mm-hmm. But I have been, me and my girlfriend have been talking about like, hey, you know, you sh- we should go take a rec two course because yeah. she's offering one. And I'm like, yeah, like, let's go, let's go take it together. It'd be fun. We could take the course together. And even though it's like a recreational course and, and in my head, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah I, you know, it's probably going to be easy. I'm like, dude, I'll probably learn so much. I, I don't want to say I was like neglected in the past with my previous instructors, nothing like that. Yeah. But I just know going into a rec two course, I would learn a vast amount of information that I, just the, the, the whole backplate thing blew my mind to the point where I was like, what else can you teach me? Yeah. <laughs> you know? For sure, for sure. What else? Yeah, you, you, you made a lot of good points there. Um, you know, there's so much that we don't know that we don't know, right? And so I, I never blame or, you know, look down on instructors in the industry outside of GUE because, you know, I, I know where they're coming from. You know, they, they've only been taught what they've been taught, so they can't really know, I don't want to say any better, but they can't really know any different, right? It really is, I think, the, the agency's responsibility to look at growing and, and passing that information down. And it just doesn't happen within most organizations, right? So you don't know what you don't know. And you show up for, you know, a fundamentals class. And you're like, holy crap, that's how you set up a backplate, <laughs> you know? And, and then you get in the water with it and you're like, wow, this is the easiest thing in the universe to dive when I used to fight against it, right? And there's, there's so much of that along the way and along my own path through GUE. It's been those massive eye-opening moments just continuously over and over and over again for the last you know, six years. <laughs> and I was <laughs> at the head of one of the largest technical training agencies in the world, right? And an instructor trainer for every level of cave and technical and, and rebreather training and stuff. Uh, and coming in just feeling like, oh man, I have missed somehow so much really critical information it's not just making my life safer you know my diving safer but it's it's making my diving easier (laughs) and way more fun right and it's like holy crap how do we miss all these really simple basic things because none of it is really complicated and that's the thing that a lot of people don't really understand about GUE or they have this misconception about GUE is we 
we take everything that we possibly can and just simplify it, right? Like as much as we can to, to make it easy to execute and easy to reproduce consistently and everything. So, uh, you know, like my decompression lecture for technical classes went from like three hours now down to about 45 minutes because <laughs> uh, we just simplify we, we we tell you the information that you need to know based on the level that you're going to be diving and this is how we apply it practically right so it's whether it's at the fundamentals level or you know becoming a, a cave one or a cave two instructor like it's it's those moments that just keep me not just honest with myself but also passionate about the learning experience right where it's like these eye-opening moments. Oh man, that's going to make my life so much easier. Thank you for teaching me that. Right, like, and it happens over and over again, and, and continues. So, uh, also the the point about you know being able to bring divers together from different levels and backgrounds and diving at a fundamentals level, and uh, it's one of my favorite things about fundamentals classes. We're always looking at changing class structure and, and how to make it more appealing to a wider variety uh, of people. So there might be some changes coming at some point about, you know, how we structure a fundamentals class uh, with people from different levels and stuff. Uh, but I really enjoy the way that it, it is currently structured to be able to take a, a cave instructor, right? And somebody in a brand, you know, brand new diver who's never been in a back plate before. And then somebody who, you know, might have some tech, tech or cave diving experience and put those people all together in a class and watching them basically have to start all over, you know, for the higher level divers, right? And kind of dive down to the level that the, the newer divers uh, are diving at. And, you know, the biggest struggle for them is working to support, you know, the, the newer divers. Um, and so it's just this really, really interesting dynamic to watch and, and everybody is being pushed to grow and, and learn at whatever level they're, they're actually diving at. So like the cave instructor, right. Learns how to become a better cave instructor by being part of that fundamentals class. So yeah, it's, it's a super, super cool process to watch. I, I, I was very, very much impressed, which is, it's, it's so funny because I was for years just kind of like reluctant towards it. Like, ah, oh, I'm fine. And, and, I mean, I, I, I get it, you know, but the, the, the funny thing is, is, and obviously I haven't met every single GUE instructor out there. Um, I've, I've interviewed a few on the podcast already um, and spoken to some others, but it, I don't see this like big ego. I feel like the, the, the people that I meet, the more, usually the more experienced they are, the more humble yeah. Like they're not the, the egos aren't there, you know, yeah, like it's sure. kind of those like newer up and comer divers that are like, I just took the course, you know, like I kind of like you were explaining earlier, like I'm, I'm God's gift to earth. Right. And it's like, I just meet some of these people and like, man, you've done some really cool stuff. You've, you've done some amazing stuff, but you know, we're just shooting the shit right now. Yeah, like just sure. to know, it, it's just kind of weird, but no. So it's been fun. This this little series I'm trying to put together to to reach out and speak to some instructors just to kind of hear different aspects, especially from different parts of the globe. Yeah. But it's all seamless into where it's like we're, you know, they're they're just kind of out to teach and let people have fun. It, it's just weird because, like I said, there was just kind of a had a lot of misconceptions. Yeah. Yeah. It's. <laughs> It is basically the complete opposite of what most people think it is, which, uh, you know, I find to be rewarding about the experience of, you know, teaching a fundamentals class is showing people that like, this is not what most people make it out to be. Right. 
And I think, you know, the, the level of uh, focus and attention that we're putting into the recreational programs is, is really fantastic. If you would have asked me 13 years ago, if I would ever teach another open water class again, like I would tell you, would have told you absolutely not, like I'm not interested in it. Uh, and as soon as I became, you know, fundamentals and rec one instructor, I had an opportunity to teach a rec one class and it was like, holy crap, this is, might actually be my favorite class <laughs> ever to teach because um, it's how open water diving should be taught. You know, like uh, it's a five or six day class. You spend loads of time in the pool, uh, working on skills and everything, focusing uh, again on buoyancy and stability first. And then, you know, by the end of the class, you have basically brand new open water divers that are diving at a rec pass, you know, fundamentals rec pass level is, is generally what we see, you know, by day three in the pool, students are basically flat and neutral deploying SMBs, you know, in the shallow end of the pool. <laughs> and it's like, holy crap, you know, <laughs> like, how, how is this possible? In my rec one classes, I give people a lot of time to just swim around and practice. Uh, I feel like that's really important for people to, to have an opportunity to play, to reinforce the, the skills that they've learned. And uh, I told one girl, all right, you know, we've got like an hour left in the pool. So just do whatever you want to do, you know, uh, I'll just float around here and, and watch you practice or play or whatever you want to do. And she literally just back kicked around the circumference of the pool for the vast majority of that hour, just, you know, giggling like an idiot and having a blast. It was just, <laughs> yeah, it was just so much fun. Yeah. So, uh, it's super, super cool to see people actually learn how to dive properly from the beginning and not learn those bad habits of being overweighted, kneeling on the bottom and, you know, focusing on more complex skills first and then, you know, spending just a little bit of time on the buoyancy instead, you know, we reinforce that foundation and make sure that that platform is, is solid before we start excluding and stuff. And it makes all the difference in the world, the level of confidence and confidence that they come out of that, that class with. So I, I do have, because I, I mentioned the article a little bit earlier, a question that I have about that is, was that something that you just kind of wanted to get that information out there or was it just kind of like, uh, like what, what prompted you to want to write the article? Um, well, there, there's been a couple of articles that I've written for in-depth that I thought were really important. And the, the first one, uh, was actually about a year ago, I guess, uh, about record setting dives. Right. Uh, and I wrote an article called, uh, I trained Doc Deep and Doc Deep, uh, was a guy named Guy Garman who, who unfortunately died attempting to, to set a, a world record for, for depth a few years ago. The idea for the article actually came out when in-depth released an article about a, a record setting dive that had just been done. And I wanted to make sure that people understood what issues there are with these record setting dives and, and and it's important for us as educators and, and uh, those you know higher at the top of the industry uh, to be honest with people about <clears throat> uh, how they should progress to, to making bigger dives and stuff. One of my you know one of the saddest things about my career right is that I trained Doc D <laughs> uh, very very fast paced. Like he was one of my first tech students when I was down in the Virgin Islands, and uh, you know I have a lot of regrets about how that happened and, and not putting the brakes on him sooner, but I didn't have that level of knowledge and experience to, to understand how to do that. So that article was really important to me and got a lot of really good feedback and stuff. Uh, and I was really happy that I wrote it. It's probably the hardest thing that I've ever wrote. Very, very emotional, but uh, super happy that, that I put it out there because I, I just felt it was really, really important for people to see 
my side of it, basically. Um, and then the other one, uh, the, the recent one about why I became a GUE instructor, uh, was kind of the same. I was, uh, yeah, just kind of frustrated with things that I've been seeing in, in the, the dive industry lately. And Michael Menduno, who's a close friend and, and everything, who's the, the editor for In-Depth as well. My wife, SJ, also uh, works for In-Depth. Uh, she's the art director. And so they're always in my ear about, you know, we want you to write an article, you know, think of something. And, and the idea of why I became a GUE instructor came up. And I thought, okay, you know, let's, <laughs> let's do this, right? Let's, uh, let's, let's have a chat. And it just kind of evolved from there and, you know, kind of spilled beans a little bit of, about the frustrations that I really saw in the industry. And, you know, I talk pretty openly about it with people that, that ask me in person. And I include a lot of that information in some of my classes, and especially the instructor training that I do uh, with other agencies and stuff. And so I figured what the hell, we'll just put it out there and, and see what happens. And yeah, a lot of really, really good feedback. Like uh, I got messages uh, from you know people at the highest level in the industry, from you know instructor trainers and open water divers that I had you know never met before. Like literally brand new divers uh, also came to me, and you know with the same kind of feedback that you had. Like this really spoke to me. This is exactly what I saw in my entry level classes, and then tech instructors being like, this is, these are the frustrations, you know, that, that we've had with the agencies and stuff and even regional office managers, <laughs> um, from the agency. So people that actually work for the agencies actually reached out to me and like, thank you for putting this out there. You know, we're, we're, we're trying, but you know, we, we know that there's all of these obstacles. So, you know, we're, we're thankful that, that it went out there. Um, so yeah, it, it struck a chord with a lot of people, I think, and had a lot of, and it's had you know, almost entirely positive uh, feedback. A little bit of backlash from the agencies, unfortunately, that, that didn't uh, appreciate it as much. Um, got suspended from one training agency for it. <laughs> Still waiting to, to find out exactly why. Um, yeah, there's been some communication back and forth, but very, very vague. And, you know, not, you know, no conclusions made. Uh, the suspension actually happened while I was in the water teaching a class and nobody notified me <laughs> that I had been suspended. Oh. Yeah. So it put me at a lot of risk liability wise and stuff, which was not, not good for me. Uh, had something happened with the student in the water, it, it would have been really, really, really messy. And I didn't find out that I had been suspended until I tried to register the students <laughs> at the end of the class. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And it said, you're, you, you don't have oh, wow. the ability to register because you're, you're not active. And I'm like, okay, let's, that's not good. <laughs> um, yeah, I, nobody notified me until, you know, and then it was DEMA. And so there was a lot of talk about it all at DEMA and stuff. And, you know, after DEMA, I got around to uh, uh, getting in touch with the agency and trying to sort it all out. But there's been very little progress and not a whole lot of communication about the, the why, you know. And so, uh, you know, why we skipped all of the you know, standard quality assurance measures and stuff and just flip the switch. It, uh, yeah. So <laughs> it definitely created yeah, an interesting wow. situation. Oh yeah. I mean, I feel like, well, yeah. I, I mean, I, like, I guess there's a few ways to look at that, but uh, I mean, obviously, I mean, cause like I said, with the article, it did strike a chord and obviously it did to certain people to have that happen because I mean, that's, that's definitely, because there is a lot of truth in that article. And, and what's funny about it is 
you know, you like these ideas, you kind of know that these things are happening. They're just kind of floating around, but then like, you're like, boom, here's an article that is saying it. Then you're just like, you know what? This is true. Like it's kind of not an unspoken thing, but it is. So it's, and, and there is a, a, a lot of changes that definitely need to be made. And, um, I, I just had a, a roundtable about risk management and accident analysis, and it's pretty wild to hear, you know, the certain individuals trying to push to make these changes in the industry, but there's such a pushback from the agencies for, you know, at the end of the day, probably like you were saying earlier, just it, it goes against profits. Like if, if we do this, we're losing profits, so we can't move forward. And, and if, people were actually in the water more instead of the, the, the one quote, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but just like these higher ups going in the water once a year for social media posts. or something. Yeah. Like um, yeah, it's, it's really wild, but I mean, I, I think it was a really good article. I'm sorry to hear that that happened, especially mid mid session. That must've, yeah, yeah that must've not been <laughs> the best feeling in the world. It, it was, shocking to to say the least like I'm, I'm not really surprised that there was issues at the agency level with with the article you know i, I kind of expected that um but the way it happened was was absolutely shocking like <laughs> yeah just quite unprofessional if you ask me and, and just a little bit vindictive um but you know that that is kind of the industry you know when they feel a little bit of pushback it's nope we're done discussion over like just get out of here kind of mentality and, and it's like it, that, that's exactly what i'm talking about in the article like you let's <laughs> let's move forward right let's talk about okay how do we improve you know how do we make this better instead of just you're done we don't want to hear it like just get out of here you're, you're you're gonna anything that we try to do that's associated with any of that is, is just going to take money out of our pockets and it's not worth our time to discuss it so that's a bummer, man. And um, uh, the the Doc Deep article. So I did read that, I believe, when it came out. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was another thing that I definitely wanted to mention and say that it for a person of your level to like admit that mistakes were made is a huge, huge thing. And I, I kind of like that, that, that's, that, that had to have taken a lot. So that was, a uh, uh, for you to like put that out there. So, you know, thank you because it, you know, makes me reflect on like, okay, I know I've made mistakes. Like, let's try to prevent those from going forward. So no, the, the article is really, really good. And I mean, the, the GUE, you know, or why I became an instructor, um, was really, really good too. So Man, your articles are just hitting home, dude. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, so, um, yeah. yeah, with the Doc Deep one, like, I'm generally very open and honest about mistakes that I make and stuff. You know, like, it's, it's I, I think it's the most important aspect of, of learning and improving is, is first, you know, understanding where you've gone wrong in the past and, and trying to correct that, right? So, you know, in personal life and in diving and everything, I, I find that to be extremely important. So most of my classes, you know, I, I talk a lot about ways that I've screwed up in the past, you know, and it's, it's always been, I feel like a, a super valuable experience for my students, you know, looking at, 
you know, their rebreather instructor who has forgotten to pack their scrubber <laughs> uh, and started a dive, right? Like that, that hits, you know, pretty hard for most students. It's like somebody with thousands of hours on a rebreather can make that simple of a mistake and almost kill themselves like that. You know, people wake up a little bit and, and listen more to, to what you're trying to tell them. The, the big exception to that was, was always the, the doc deep stuff. Uh, it was just such an emotional thing for me. Anytime the thought came into my head, it was, you know, just like shut it down, tune it out and, you know, move on with your day type of thing. And, you know, people would, you know, for years, there was loads of buzz about that event and, um, a lot of negative, negative commentary and stuff, not just about, you know, the dive and things that led up to the dive, but also about guy as a person. And that was the hardest stuff for me to hear because he was one of the most amazing people I, I ever met. Like he was truly uh, and sincerely a, a great friend um, and a truly just remarkable human being. Yeah. He just got focused on, on the wrong thing and, you know, was not stopped from making a really, really bad mistake. So yeah, I just wanted to get that information out there finally to get it off my chest, but also, you know, hopefully <laughs> uh, somebody else who is on the same path might see that or people who are supporting someone who is on that same path, maybe takes a second look at it and think, I see some similarities here. Maybe we need to do something different. So hopefully it helps a little bit. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it did, but no, that, that, that takes a, uh, that takes a lot, man. So that's, you know, I coming from me, like I appreciate to see things like that because, um, I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's like true, true leadership qualities, man, to admit your mistakes and move forward. Cause it's not an easy thing to do. And, and let's face facts. A lot of people don't do that. Yeah. A lot of people will not admit, you know, that things that, yeah. So last question, well, last couple questions sure. I have for you. So you're about to make a big move. Yeah. 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 Uh, moving back to Florida, excited about it. You know, uh, I've been in Mexico for, for five years now and I've never lived anywhere for longer than five years. So, uh, didn't really think a whole lot about the exact timing of it. Um, <laughs> until, you know, we, we made the decision to move. It's like, Oh yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> it's been about five years. So it's, it's time to move on and do something different. You know, Mexico is great. Uh, for the most part, you know, the, the diving here is phenomenal. Uh, I really enjoy teaching here because days are pretty laid back because all the cenotes are within a couple minute drive of, of the dive shop and stuff. And, and the community here is great and everything. <clears throat> it's just time to move on. It's getting a bit sad here in Tulum with the really, really rapid development that's happening. Every day you drive back into the jungle and there's more and more piles of trash and more and more jungle, jungle that's cleared out for, for condos and stuff. Like the dive sites that used to be way back in the jungle are now you know, surrounded by uh, condo developments and stuff. It's, it's um, sad to see how rapidly it's happening and how little uh, time and effort is, is put into, you know, looking at the ecological impacts uh, of what we're doing now with the train and the airport and everything. Like I just, I, I had to move on. Like it's really, really difficult morally for me to bring more people here to train and dive when I know how much destruction is happening as a result of it all that was a big contributing factor. And to be honest, while the diving here is pretty, um, I much prefer Florida cave diving. <laughs> and most people will, you know, be like, oh, that's, that's crazy. You know, Florida caves, they're, they're, 
there's all this flow, they're deeper, the water's a little bit colder, you know, there's nothing pretty to see because there's no formations and stuff. Um, but it's the slightly colder water, the high flow and the depth that really attract me to it. Because again, my reason for being underwater is, is not necessarily to look at the pretty things, which while they're pretty, that's, that's a, a bonus. For me, it's the challenge uh, and the separation from the surface, basically. And I really, really miss doing a lot of deep, long range diving. And we just don't have a whole lot of that here in Mexico. There's only a couple of sites where you can get deeper than, you know, 30 meters or so or hundred feet. And I miss, you know, the dives with five, six hours of decompression and, and that kind of <laughs> stuff. Like the, those are the dives that really get me excited and, and, you know, kind of scratch that itch for me. So, um, I dive with, uh, the KUR group in Florida, or I, I did a lot of diving with them and have done a little bit over the years. Just when I go back to, to teach and visit and stuff, but I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to, to getting back involved with KUR and, and, uh, uh, getting involved with, with more of the exploration projects and stuff that, that are happening there. So yeah, we're moving in a couple of weeks. Uh, it doesn't feel like it cause we're nowhere near being prepared for a major move. <laughs> It's just like, you know, craziness of you know, teaching the holidays and all that. And like, oh crap, now all of a sudden we have to pack up and move to another country. So it's, uh, it's a bit challenging. <laughs> we'll, we'll get through which, it. Uh, which part of Florida? Uh, we'll be right in High Springs. So North Central Florida, like in the middle of all of the caves, basically. Our house is five blocks from the dive shop that, that I teach out and stuff. So yeah, we're pretty excited. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Well, no, man, that's a uh, uh, good luck with the move. That that sounds exciting. Um, I, I've actually I've never been diving in Florida. Um, it's it's a destination which which a lot of people from Texas would make it over there. I just yeah. never made it over there. But yeah, I'll definitely you know I always keep saying I'll I'll make it to Florida one of these days. Well, back to Florida, I should say, because yeah. I've been there a couple of times. Yeah, but yeah. cool, man. Yeah. Well, the the last question I wanted to ask you. The, I usually always kind of ask that advice question at the end of the the podcast is, um, and you know, I try to figure out a different way to ask people just because kind of based on the conversation. And I think you've kind of said everything throughout the podcast, but what advice would you have for a, I don't want to say a new diver, but maybe a diver that's thinking about moving into the technical world, sure. moving into just deeper, longer dives, what, what advice would you have for that yeah. person? So number one, uh, take fundamentals, <laughs> of course, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you know, more importantly than that, I think is, you know, be inquisitive, ask questions and don't be afraid to reach out. I love it when people reach out to me and just ask for advice on, you know, what to do next. Like, even if they're not going to be coming to me for classes or whatever, like I might give them advice that pushes them in another direction, right? And I'm perfectly happy to do that. So, and most, you know, high level instructors feel the same. Like we, we want to share information. So if you're questioning things, if you don't know what to do next, or, uh, you know, you're, you're just kind of feeling lost in the sea of information that you find, you know, on social media or scuba board or whatever it is, reach out to the people that you think have some answers for you and, and don't be afraid to, to make that contact because most of us are, are more than happy to uh, share it and you get a lot better information than you will if you type a question on scoop board. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you don't know who's sitting on the other side of the key keyboard and as much as they talk about their experience and stuff, it's, 
it's, it's not always the, the right information that you'll get. Uh, sometimes, you know, you, there is good information uh, on those types of uh, forums and on Facebook and stuff, but, you know, you have to know how to weed out the bad information and somebody that doesn't know what they don't know, they don't necessarily know how to uh, sift through it all. So don't be afraid to ask those questions um, and, uh, and don't be afraid to take a step back to be able to make a more efficient path forward for yourself. Uh, I, I try to be as honest with, as I can with people, like people that want to sign up for, you know, like a Trimix class or a high level cave class or something. And I don't see, you know, that they have the right structure from the beginning or, you know, that solid foundation that's laid, you know, I, I try to be as honest as possible and be like, I, I would love to teach you a DPB cave class. It's one of my favorite classes to teach. But I don't think you're ready based on, you know, having missed these few steps in the beginning. So don't be afraid to take a step backward to, to make a more efficient path forward. Um, don't be afraid to ask questions and yeah, sign up for fundamentals class. Awesome. Well, John, thank you very much for coming on to the podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Yeah, it's been a blast. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll talk soon. Podcasting, a scuba podcast.